Well, it is a privilege to finally be here with you. Um, we have uh, been a, a part of the Oregon Trail Church of God story uh, for a little while, so I'm going to explain that to you here before we get started. So a couple housekeeping things so you know who I am and why I'm preaching this morning. I actually first met your preacher, uh, uh, Pastor Brian, when I was uh, doing youth ministry at um, a church down the road called Eagle Christian Church. I, it's a uh, so I was doing the high school ministry there, and he was at Cloverdale Church of God. And during that time, um, there, were some, there was some media people who were trying to connect some of these youth guys that were doing some different work in the valley, some pretty unique works. And, and they picked our brains on some things, so they got us together in a room. And that's when I first met Pastor Brian. And that started a partnership in the gospel. There's just a lot of respect I have for him. Uh, he has a mutual respect for me. And so we began to build that, that relationship and that friendship. And ultimately... Um, Things have changed in our lives. He is no longer a youth minister, as you guys are aware. Um, I am no longer in youth ministry either. What I'm doing now is I'm actually the CEO of a nonprofit called Inside Out Cares, okay? And Inside Out Cares is a nonprofit that brings uh, uh, people out of sex trafficking right here in the state of Idaho. And there has been no church like Oregon Trail Church of God, the way you guys have prayed for us and supported us uh, financially as well. Um, God continues to do amazing things through the ministry of, of Inside Out Cares, but it's because of your faithfulness and your prayers that we're able to do these kinds of things. And it's hard work, it's heavy work. So on behalf of Inside Out, we just want to say thank you, Oregon Trail, for doing something about this issue. I don't know if you've watched the news this past week even, but the reality is this issue is a massive, massive issue in our culture. And I believe that God is in the middle of doing something significant about this, in, this issue. And I believe there's nothing more important to God's heart than caring for the orphan and the widow. And so for us, the people who are in need, these, these people who are, who are enslaved in, uh, in, the, in this terrible, terrible reality, and you guys are doing something about that. So whether you know it or not, you guys have been instrumental, and I just want to thank you for that. I'd like to pray for you and with you as we get into the Word today. And I want to tell you um, a little bit, not nervous, but I, I realize it's a, it's a high call that Pastor Brian has given me today. So, uh, so he says, I'm going to be gone I need you to preach on Romans chapter 8. That's a big passage, people. <laughs> there's, there's a lot that's there. And so, so he eased my mind. He said, you don't need to preach for three hours and go like, do the whole thing, okay? But, but like, maybe you could pick, pick parts that would be good. And then I did something I've never done before in this sermon. So when I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to do something this morning that I, I hope really resonates and sits in. We're actually going to preach the entire book, the entire chapter of Romans chapter 8. So it might be the best sermon you ever slept through. We'll find out, okay? Um, <laughs> I promise you I'll keep it in the same time frame here as you guys are normally used to. But I just want to pray as we get into this, and, uh, and let's, let's just leave this in God's hands, okay? Dear Father God, we come to you this morning, and uh, we are mindful of your presence first and foremost. Hey, God, we are grateful to be able to be here, uh, God, to be able to worship and to be able to give you praise. And God, I just pray that as we get into your word this morning in uh, Romans chapter 8, God, that, um, that, you, that these words can be your words, God, that they can penetrate our hearts and our minds, God, that we can be ministered to by you. So we, we, we just invite you to invade our space this morning. God, we invite you to teach us, to grow us as your children, God, to let us know how loved we are as we approach this passage, God. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it's like right now in the current landscape of, of, of the souls in this room, God, but I just pray that you can minister to each, each and every single soul, that we could walk away knowing that we, are, that we are loved by the Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Romans chapter 8 is where we're at, and in your Bibles that's in front of you, that is page 940, 
And I'm glad I just said that because it's not actually open to 940 here. So, um, okay, here we go, 940. And uh, what I wanted to do this morning is outline for you um, what the Apostle Paul does with this text. I love what the Apostle Paul does with this text. And so we're, gonna, we're just going to follow the same format that he followed. Uh, but in order to do that, um, I just wanted to ask you a little question here. Have you ever played the game Where's Waldo? Have you ever played that game? Okay, I mean, I love this game. It takes me like an hour to find Waldo every single time. I mean, and the, the guy sticks out like a sore thumb, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's got the stripes on his, on his shirt. I mean, you'd think that you could find him anywhere, but actually if you go like looking for Waldo, it's just like, where is he? I know he's there somewhere. He's got to be here because that's the name of the game, right? But okay, here's the thing. Have you ever played with a child? If you want to be humbled, play this game with a child because they'll probably find Waldo 30 minutes before you'll find Waldo. Okay. The reality is they've, they've created an entire industry on finding Waldo. And like, I don't know how much money these people have made over Waldo over the years. Like, it's got to be significant, right? Um, and here's the reality. Like, like, finding Waldo is, there's some kind of a pleasure, strange pleasure that I get when I finally find Waldo. It's like, yes, I knew I could do it. And then like, and like life's over, right? It's complete. No, I got to find Waldo again in the next picture, which is another like hour, hour and a half. Anyway, um... So, so this passage is about location. Just like this game is about location, like where is Waldo, finding Waldo, this passage is about location. And so I've entitled this sermon, Where Are You? And I've subtitled it, Where is Jesus? And it's going to make sense as we move forward here, but where are you, where is Jesus? Maybe like that's, maybe you've heard the song before, Stand in the Place Where You Live. Think about direction, wonder why you haven't before, right? Here's the reality, like, we, we are all, like, where are we spiritually? That's what the Apostle Paul's asking. And maybe we don't ever think about that in those terms before, but where are we spiritually, and what does that mean? The Apostle Paul starts off this passage, and we are going to read the entire, let me just warn you, I've, like I said, I've never done this before. I think it went okay in the first service because people said, hey, Mike, it went okay. <laughs> so I'm hoping it goes okay in the second service too. I'm doing something I've never done before. It goes against everything that I know about preaching. I'm going to read the entire chapter of Romans chapter 8. It's long. It's long. But, but I think we can do this, and I think you guys are going to be hanging with me. I think, I think we're doing this in a way that's going to help us to really grow in Christ and to learn in the Word. So we're giving it our best shot here today. But I want to start with Romans chapter 8 verse 1 before we read the entire uh, chapter. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 from the NLT says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now I've highlighted a couple words. I've highlighted so now and I've, I've highlighted to. And I've highlighted those words for a specific reason. In this, in this translation, it simply makes it seem like that there is a subordinate relationship in the sense of that we belong to Christ Jesus, which we absolutely do. The original Greek, so, so there's nothing wrong with this, with, with this concept, this idea. The original Greek actually says this, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just a little bit different. Just a little bit different. So this actually signifies location. Actually in the Greek, it's called a locative of sphere. So think of a circle. Think of a circle. So in the original Greek, it's there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Apostle Paul teaches us repeatedly, but he teaches us in this chapter, that there are, there are two circles that, we, that, that we're going to look at. One circle is the circle of Christ, and we're going to call this the circle of Christ. And this is the sphere of Christ. And he's saying if you are in the sphere of Christ, if you are in 
the person of Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. Now, he also talks about the flesh and he talks about the world. So in your notes, you've got a piece of paper. On one side is a circle and it says Christ. On the other side is a circle and it says the flesh. And it gives, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what it means to be in Christ and in the flesh. And I want you just to write notes in, your, in, that, in those circles. So in the flesh, here's what it means. In Christ, here's what it means. Okay? So as we read this passage, we're going to read it from two different lenses. We're going to read it from being in Christ and we're going to read it from being in the flesh, but we're going to start off with being in the flesh. That's how we're going to start off reading and looking at this passage. You see, we live in a world that likes to teach or believe that there are lots of different circles. There's lots of different things that are out there. The Apostle Paul says, no, there's not. The Apostle Paul says you are either in Christ or you are in the flesh or in the world. So it's one or the other is what the Apostle Paul teaches. And this passage I just love it. It's so rich. It's so deep in theology. A lot of the verses that you know from the book of Romans, you might notice here from Romans chapter 8. And what we're going to do is we're just going to read through this, and we're going to look at what that means. But I want you to do it with the lens of these two words, no condemnation. No condemnation. I, I firmly believe that this is a thesis statement, a thesis paper that the Apostle Paul is writing. And he starts off, saying that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Now we're going to talk about what that means, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what I want to highlight is that he goes on the rest of this chapter and, he is, and, he's, and he's putting the flesh on that thesis of no condemnation. He's putting the flesh on it, saying here's what it means that there's no condemnation. Here's how we can know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he comes back at the very end of the passage and then he hits it again and he says, can you see why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? But in order to do that, he also highlights what it means to be in the flesh. Because if you're in the flesh, guess what? There is condemnation. And so we're going to look at that here this morning. What I want to do is I just want to read the first nine verses. And as I read the first nine verses, here's some of the notes that I took. You can fill in your circle, whatever you want to write in there. If you could fit all these in there and you'd like to write that, feel free. But here is a list of the things that we're going to look at from Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 9. And I just want you to write in there the things that, that kind of capture your attention of what it means to be in the flesh. So the text says this, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to, God, to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. And he sent his one and only son in a body, like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that, in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. And those who are dominated by the sinful nature think only about sinful things. Uh, not those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. They think about things that, that please the Spirit. And so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. And that's why those who are, who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. 
So if you're looking at that through the lens of the flesh, this is a, this is a, lens, this is a lens of location. Are you in Christ? Do you belong to Christ or are you in the world? Because if you're in the world, that's what it looks like. It leads to death. It's weakness. Sinful thoughts. Always hostile to God. Never obeys God. Cannot please God. Does not belong to God. I want to tell you, my wife and I uh, took our family on vacation. And I don't know if you guys have done a lot of vacations with your family. Here's what it looks like for me being in ministry, taking my family on vacation. We'd call it vacation. That's what we called it. We would go on a mission trip. And then like we'd spend like a day or two or something like that. And we would do something fun together. We'd be like, hey, that was a great vacation. And the reality is like there's only like one other vacation that I can remember clearly that we went to as a family or wasn't like going to visit family or something like that. My family and I went to Washington, D.C. We had a great time. And then this just... A couple weeks ago, we just got back from Mexico, and we went to this all-inclusive resort in Mexico. And as soon as we, like, stepped off, the, we got off the plane, we stepped, we stepped off the bus, we're at this all-inclusive resort. My son just graduated high school. We just totally just went out just to, just to be tourists and just to enjoy ourselves. We didn't know how to act, okay? That's just reality. Like, we were not, like, we were not used to this all-inclusive, like, like, high living kind of lifestyle. And so like we get off this, this, this bus and they're just like, hey, it's so good to have you. And they're offering us this, uh, food and drinks and all kinds of stuff. And we're just like, and it's all just included. And they're like, yeah, like, that's interesting. So they slap a wristband on us. Now, have you ever done this before? They slapped a wristband on us. And that wristband meant that like we belonged to that resort. And all of the, all of the inclusions, like everything that comes with belonging to that resort was ours. Like, all we had to do was just, just be there. Like, we could order room service. We'd go to any restaurant we wanted. It's like, all the food, all the drinks. Like, anything you want is, like, is, like, is included. And so, like, there's, like, entertainment and all kinds of other stuff. And I'm just like, I was like, I just don't, like, seriously don't. I'm going to lose my mind. I don't know how to act here, right? But I had all of that because I had that wristband on. I belonged to that resort. And so I was standing there. I was standing there in this resort, and I just started thinking to myself, man, that's what it's like being in Christ, Right? Like, 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 it's nothing I did, but like, 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 I have the sign and the seal that God has given me that I belong to him. Because I belong to him, because I'm in the person of Jesus Christ. Like, everything else that comes with it is mine. And that's a powerful thought. That's a powerful thought. And I want to tell you that, like, the Apostle Paul talks about what it means to live in the flesh, but we can get that on one slide. What I want you guys to do is a kind of a tall order. I want you to flip your sheet of paper over. And I want you to try to take as many notes as you can for the things that Paul says comes with being in Christ. So it all comes down to no condemnation. But I want to tell you there's four different slides and you're not going to fit it all in there. But I want you to do your best just to write down the highlights or the things that you want to take away from what it means to be in Christ. And then here's the thing. I'm going to test you later. I promise you. Totally unconventional. I'm going to test you later. I'm going to ask you what you wrote down in your circle. So you better write something down. Or you might get in trouble. No, just joking. Okay. No, okay. So let's do this. We're going to read this passage one more time. We're going to read the entire chapter because the entire chapter is filled with what it means to be in Christ. Never done this before? Pray for me. Okay. Let's do this. Let's dive in together. Here's what it says. Okay. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do, and he sent his only son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. 
And he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. And those who are dominated by the sinful nature think only about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will, and that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to, to him at all. And Christ lives within you. Here we go. Next, next slide. Yeah, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. That's important. It's really important in this passage because you have been made right with God. It's the first time he mentions that. And the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised uh, Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. And for all of those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that, uh, that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. For this Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory because if uh, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet we suffer now, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God, uh, when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For, for we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. And we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children. That's so powerful. His adopted children including the new bodies that he has promised us. We were given uh, this hope when we were saved. And if we already have something, we don't need hope. We don't need hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows our hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing. There's that word again, that right, that being made right, right standing with him. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And this is where it gets incredible. I love this part of the passage. For what shall we say about 
wonderful things such as these, as God is for us, who can be against us? For he did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us. Won't he also give us everything else? Notice we started off with condemnation. Let's see how we finish here. Who dares accuse us from whom God has chosen his, his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Well, no one, because Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Well, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that, neither, that, that uh, nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or, or, or um, in the earth, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Four different slides in Romans chapter 8 that I came up with. Maybe you came up with others, but there's one more thing that I didn't put up there yet, and you can put these in your notes if you'd like, and that's the future that comes with being in Christ. Because the promises of Christ aren't just relegated to right here and right now. The powers of Christ are, are now, it's in the future, it's 10,000 years from now. The reality is, because of Christ, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where we are and whose we are. And so I, I put in there like, where are you? That that's the title of the sermon, but there's a secondary sermon and that's where is Jesus? Here's why I did that. Because in this passage, it's super, super clear that if we are in the sphere of Christ, Christ is also in us. See, the Bible teaches us in this passage that, that God, God's love transcends everything. Everything. And he loves us so much that he would adopt us as his own child. I met a guy, and I've talked to him this past week. And, he, and, and his family is wealthy, and so he has inherited, he has that wealth. But here's the truth. He wasn't born that way. You see, this man, even though he now has been able to accumulate wealth, it, it, it was because his parents were very wealthy. And he ended up, a, he ended up being adopted by his parents and by being adopted alone, now he, is an, he receives this inheritance of his parents, of his family. And he could tell his story of being adopted and how, how God gave him this loving family to take care of him. Here's the reality, right? In, in a different circumstance, he wouldn't have rights to any of those things. But because these loving parents said, I want to take you and make you my own. It wasn't by anything he did. It was by the grace and the love of this, this wonderful couple that said, I want to make you mine. I want to take care of you and I want to love you. Think of James chapter 1 verse 29. That, pure, that religion that is pure and faultless is this. It's caring for orphans and widows in their hour of need. That's so powerful to me. Like there's nothing this guy did to deserve this. But because this loving couple lavished it upon them, he receives all of it. And so Paul says this, he goes, Hey, you know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I wonder, wonder if there's anybody here this morning outside of myself who could use an encouraging word. Here's the truth. 
I think most of us allow all kinds of stuff to define us. Maybe you can hear the voices now of the people who say, oh, I know who you used to be. You know what? You call yourself a Christian, but I know how you've messed up. I know about the shady business practice that you did 20 years ago. I know about the way that you live your life. You're, you're not the person that you say you are. All these things, these words that define us and come down on us. And then here's Paul. He says, no, no, no. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, you know why people don't like the church very much? It's because of the people that are in the church that want to condemn other people. You know, Jesus, the harshest words he said were about religious people. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you look great on the outside, but on the inside you are dead and you are a whitewashed tomb. It's because here's what was happening in this religious structure. They were stepping up the rungs and they were getting higher and higher and higher. These religious leaders were at this perch and they were able to look down and tell people, here's what it means to follow God. Look more like me. You know, it was the religious leaders. If I can share this story with you, you probably remember the story from John chapter 8. This woman was caught in adultery. She was brought out by the religious leaders in front of Jesus. She was laid in front of Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, we have these stones. We're ready to throw them at her because the, the Bible tells us, the law tells us that we're supposed to kill her for committing adultery. So, Jesus, what shall we do? Jesus looks at her and goes, you're absolutely right. That's what the law says. So, let he without sin cast the first stone. You guys, you guys remember this story? So, so then Jesus gets down and he starts to write in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. Like I, I, oh, it's one of those things, I kind of like the mystery more than anything else. Like what did Jesus write in the sand? But he writes something in the sand. And then one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, these religious leaders, the oldest one drops his stone and he walks away. And then the next one drops his stone and he walks away. And the next one drops his stone and he walks away. And then it's just Jesus and this lady who was caught in adultery. He looks at her, and if you remember, he says, hey, who, who's here to condemn you? She said, nobody. Nobody, Jesus. They've all left. Do you remember what Jesus said after that? He said, neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. You see, I think we get the equation mixed up, don't we? We think that if we get it right and if we can... If we, can, if we can, like, somehow, like, like please God from the outside, like, like maybe, maybe people around us would be happy with us. Maybe we could please the world around us. Maybe, I don't know what we're thinking. Sometimes we lose our ever-loving minds. Now, here's the reality. God said, there's nothing you can do. I've done it all for you. It's just by the grace of God that we live and we go, right? And so the question is, who are we to judge those who are trying sincerely? I mean, are we going to hold their sins against them? Or are we going to say, hey, listen, Jesus doesn't hold your sins against you. You come over here in Christ, and I promise you this. You have all of these promises that come with it. You are a child of God, and your past is not held against you anymore. But once you're in this circle, once you're in the sphere of Christ... You don't have to go back to sin anymore. Isn't that great? I got to tell you that um, 
I know what it's like to be on both sides of that coin. I have been the one to judge somebody else for their sin. So I want to be the first to say that. I'm not saying this like I have this figured out. I want to say that I, like, this is just a reality of the human experience. It's a struggle sometimes. And so I can, I can if, if I'm sitting here in this circle and I'm looking over here and being like, well, look at that. Did you see their sin? I mean, they're, oh my goodness. <laughs> Why in the world? God, forgive me. Forgive me when I want to judge somebody else for their sin as if my sin is any better. Exactly what the religious leaders did. And I've been on the other side of the coin where somebody has noticed when I've messed up and they will never let me forget it. And let me tell you, that is a horrible place to be. Guys, I just, I don't know if you've learned something from this passage like I certainly did. My prayer is that we can stay in the person of Jesus and we receive all the benefits that come with that. So I told you I would test you and I want you guys to participate. I, this is totally unconventional. I don't do this kind of thing, but I want to do this for this sermon. What were some of the things that you wrote in your circle for what it means to be in Christ? Made right with God. Right standing, being made right with God. So good. Who else? Sharing his glory. Amen. Amen. You said free. He freed us. Who said peace? Peace? Peace and love. Amen. Amen and joy. Spirit lives in you. If we are in Christ, Christ is in us. The Spirit is in us. As a matter of fact, that is our sign. That is our seal that we've been saved. That we belong to God. We don't belong to the world. We belong to Christ. The power of sin no longer has control over us. And, and, that's, and here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing about that. Like, when we are in Christ and we truly know what it means to be in Christ, we don't want to be somewhere else. Of course, we, we struggle with the flesh. Paul called himself, instead of the most righteous, he called himself the chief of all sinners. When you're in Christ, you begin to realize, man, I don't have a perch to stand on. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. And here's the reality. That's what it means to be in Christ. Christ is in you. You are in Christ. And here's this last slide I want to leave with you. You can write it if you want to. on your. You are safe and secure in Christ. You are safe and secure in Christ. And when someone wants to throw a stone at you, you can say, you know what? I know who I once was. I know what I've done. Believe me, I am the chief of all sinners but there's no condemnation for me. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world says. If it's just me and Jesus, that's all that matters because there's no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus and I have the fullness of the kingdom of what it means to be a child of God. 10,000 years from now, people, when we're in heaven and we're in the fullness of God's glory, how amazing is it going to be to know that God gave his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins so that we didn't have to be perfect. And I gotta tell you something. If you have a list of things like against me, I'll give you 20 more. And the truth is, if someone had a list of things against you, you could probably give them 20 more. But because of Jesus, we are safe and secure knowing that he loves us and there's nothing that can separate us from that love. 
Father God, we just thank you for all that you do and all that you are and for the sacrifice and for the word that you brought us today, Lord, that we can be in you and live in you. Let us not lose our focus, Lord, but let us let us continue to stay on that journey and on that path towards you in every moment of our lives, Lord God. We love you. We praise you. We just pray blessings upon everyone in the house today. You know what's on their hearts, their minds, Lord God. And we just pray that you can just touch upon them and let them have just a blessed day and a blessed week. Let us go out and be the light that shines for others in this day, Lord. Thank you. Amen.